Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know, I think growth comes from uncomfortable situations, and I'm grateful for whatever it was that I had in me as a little girl that always allowed me to just keep, keep pushing, you know, because my life would be drastically different had I not had I not moved to Colorado. I'm Cheyenne Orvis, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Cheyenne, how are you? I am well, thank you. Busy in my guide season, but managing pushing through right on so carbondale that's where you that's where you're based yeah absolutely and that's right outside of aspen yep so what's your what are your main uh bodies of water that you're fishing out there so primarily the roaring fork river the frying pan river and then the colorado river as well Mm -hmm. and uh i fished the frying pan before um and we waited there but are you waiting some trips and floating some trips how do you how does your kind of operation work? So as of right now, I've, uh, this is my fourth year guiding and uh, primarily wade trips. I am trying to transition over to float trips. So this is going to be my first year being a float guide. Um, So I think I've got to sign off on 20 more hours on the boat and then I can take my first first float trip. So I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited. Yeah. So I've been seeing that on your Instagram that you're in the raft. Um, who, who dictates the, the requirements there? Is that the state of Colorado or? Yeah. So they've got a certain amount of hours that you have to uh, meet and they have to be signed by, um, someone who is licensed to sign those hours. So it has to be an instructor or, uh, someone who's been guiding for well over like 10 years. So hmm. interesting. Cause each state has differences. You know, I, I was a guide in, um, Wyoming, Idaho and Montana. I had, but all three of those places and each one of those states was so different from one another like Wyoming basically I don't think you even had to have had to be an outfitter or a guide like you could just do whatever but there were differences in the water you know like they own the stream bottom in in Wyoming and then you go to Montana and then it's like the high water mark but you have to be an outfitter and then in in Idaho there was uh kind of a mixture of those two things but then there was like a transferable permit for each river Like, so I don't know. It's very strange. So what, what is it like in Colorado? What, as an outfitter or a guide, do you have to have a guide license or an outfitter license? What, what is the regulation on that? So the regulation is, um, you have to go through an outfitter or you can obtain your own license as an independent guide, but then you have to have permits for, um, specific stretches of the river. So I'd have to have a permit 
um, for the roaring fork and the frying pan. And there's very limited amount of permits given out. So I think you're, you can't obtain a permit for the frying pan. So if I did want to be an independent guide, I wouldn't be able to to guide that river or a certain stretch of it. Um, so it's, yeah, it goes by the river and then you have to have a specific permit for it. Kind of like Idaho. So how did you, uh, how did guiding start for you? I didn't anticipate going straight into guiding. I uh, just knew that I love fishing and I saw um, actually in the paper, there was a, a job um, position available at a fly shop. Um, so I was like, oh, this sounds great. I could surround myself with like more people within the industry and learn from them and be a sponge and become the best angler I could be. Um, and then my first summer in the fly shop, it was about two months into it. And all of the guides there were like, why aren't you guiding? You should be, you should be on the river. You are ready. Um, and they ended up just kind of pushing me right to that. So I was, I didn't anticipate moving uh, so quickly to guiding, but I'm grateful. And even if I didn't feel like I was ready, uh, you know, it, it was the best decision I ever made. So, yeah. well, it seems like it really suits you well. I, uh, I follow your Instagram and, and, and check out all the different posts and you have some very like inspirational posts. And I know that that's, that's like a big part of, what you put out there, like you have a mission statement. And, um, I find that, I find that kind of interesting. A lot of people aren't clear about their mission or even who they are as a person. And, uh, I find that kind of interesting. How did, how did you determine your mission statement and when, and what kind of process did you go through? Because like, I, like I say, a lot of people have, if you ask somebody, what are you all about? They're like, uh, well, I don't know. Like, but you seem very clear about everything that you're putting out. You seem very clear about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I didn't, uh, I, <laughs> I love that. It caught me off guard, but I think what it comes down to is I don't even know if I was aware that I had a mission statement. I think first and foremost, I just knew what, what I wanted as a young angler or a female within the sport. And I, and I didn't feel like that it was there. So it was my, it was important for me to, if I was going to be someone who was putting out fish photos or content or, um, you know, being a, some now, now a female, uh, like an influencer. Yeah. An influencer in that, in that realm, um, that it was going to be inspirational and impactful and supportive and encouraging. Cause I just didn't feel like when I was 17 getting into the, you know, guiding and being in the fly shop and I was looking around and I'm like, well, why do I feel like nobody is there to help each other? And I just feel like that was what I wanted to feel. And hopefully I can, you know, help other people who are going through something similar, have a similar journey. What did you see that was out there? Like if you didn't see that, what did you see? <laughs> so I'm going to be brutally honest. And I felt like it was, um, very competitive and very ego and it wasn't supportive. It wasn't like, Hey, I support your success. Your success doesn't take away from my success. It was, um, you know, there's only room for one person as a guide or as someone in, in fishing. And I think there's room for all of us. I also felt like moving into guiding. I'm also in a, in an area where it's, there's a lot of fly fishing guides and everyone that I was surrounded by, it was very like, Oh, we caught this many fish on the river today. How many did you catch? Or, um, it just became this like competition in a way. And, yeah. and I was like, man, like I love this sport. Um, but I don't feel like that's necessary. I think there's room for all of us and you can fish and I can fish. And it doesn't mean, you know, that someone has to be better than the other. So, um, I felt like that's, you know, kind of what I was surrounded by. And that also just might be the environment that I'm in, but, um, I was hoping to, you know, just be different in that way and show other people that doesn't have to be. And so you're, you're doing that and being different, obviously through your social media and the posts and stuff like that, but how do you do it in a personal way? Like when you're dealing with your customers and, and, and all of that, I think it's providing an experience. So for me, it was, I saw everything I didn't want to be as a guide and I was like, okay, well, these people are coming to, why not? instead of making it about having, putting so much pressure on these fish and, 
giving these clients the expectation of, okay, well, we're going to put 40 fish in the, in the boat today or in the net today. It's, it's going to be okay. Well, like, look at where we are. We should be grateful for this environment that we're in and how beautiful it is. And, um, forget about your nine to five office job and be appreciative of this time that we are on the, on the river. And this is why I fly fish. And let me share that with you. And we're also going to catch fish, but you're also going to appreciate the sport and you're going to appreciate the fishery. And, I think uh, just that overall experience of having a good time and uh, a greater overall understanding of fly fishing. And it's not just about fish, you know? Yeah. And so that plays really well with, with some people. And then you do have, you know, the competitive sort that, that get in. So when you're getting your clients, are you booking your own clients? Or are you showing up at the fly shop and, and you don't know who's going to be there? Yeah. So I feel like I'm in a really fortunate position. So I actually work for a private membership club. And so most of my clientele now are all repeat clients. I've had them for four years. Um, So I feel so grateful that I very rarely now have a a trip where I don't know someone. And and if I do, I likely know their friends. Um, So it just feels, uh, you know, fortunate in that sense. Um, Most of the people that I get to take fishing are, are, such incredible people, you know, and they're living in the Valley, um, or have a home here or or whatever the case might be. But I feel like I don't actually fish with a lot of people who might have that ego. Um, and if they do, I, I address that right away. And (laughs) that's not my guiding style. And if that's what you're looking for, that's not going to be me. Yeah. Well, it seems like every guide, you know, somebody told me, uh, my friend, Simon Becker, you know, you would look at someone that liked to, or they, they had a habit of yelling at their customers. Like you could hear them from hundreds of yards away yelling at their customers. And it's like, how, how does that guy get any business? And my friend Simon said, you know, there's a guide for every clientele and there's a clientele for every guide. And I thought about that. I was like, well, I guess, you know, like maybe that's what people, some people like, they want to get out there and they want their guide to razz them and you know, have this, you know, hard ass attitude. And I guess some people would like that because the guy stayed busy for 40 years. Like he had a clientele and they, apparently they like to get yelled at, but then there, and then there are others that absolutely don't like that. And I kind of feel like if you stick with it long enough, then you kind of draw to you the anglers that appreciate your guide style and that you, you know, are, are giving them kind of what they want as well. And it seems to be happening for you like that. Like you're, you're drawing people to you that, that appreciate that, that pace and what you're offering. Yeah. I've never thought about that, but it is very much like what you put out is what you get back. And, um, even the clientele that I've, uh, accumulated from Instagram, you know, I think they see what I put out. Um, and it isn't just like, you know, grip and grin or, uh, this competitiveness, it is hopefully like a positivity or inspiration. And, and that's maybe why they want to go fish with me. So yeah, I guess it's very much what you put out is what you get. Yeah. I didn't think about it, I like that a lot. Life's a mirror. That's what, that's what another wise friend of mine says. Life's a mirror. Whatever you put out is what you get back. And, uh, and that is, I find that to be very true myself. Yeah, that's great. You, know, you can catch yourself putting out stuff that you're not, you're not, all that proud of or happy with. And that's what comes back to you as well. Um, so that's interesting. So when, when, you know, I'm looking at, at a lot of the stuff that you're on your website and stuff like that, and it seems like you're involved in a lot of different organizations, kind of very much in line with your mission. Um, I saw ladies of, of on the fly fish for change, United women on the fly. I'm sure there were others that you're involved in. Tell me about some of those organizations and what, what the idea for the organization is? Yeah. So I would say a lot of them are going to embody, um, building a community around, uh, female anglers. And so ladies on the fly, waiters and wine, those are both clinics that I do. So they're not organizations, organizations per se, but they're, um, just monthly or reoccurring like yearly events that I try to host. Um, and those are just creating comfortable learning environments for women who want to get into the sport, but might feel intimidated or uncomfortable, right? Cause walking into a fly shop can be scary for someone, for a female who is when there's eight guys behind the, you know, the desk and you don't want to ask like what flies you're supposed to use. And they're looking at you like, you know, maybe you should know. So, 
Um, these events have been, I think, encouraging in that sense. And it's awesome to see that there's a lot more of them now all across the state. So it's um, cool to be a part of that movement. Um, and then there's also an organization that I'm a part of, and it's Fish for Change. And that's an international student program. So there's a couple different locations, Honduras primarily, that I'm involved with, um, Colorado now, and then Mexico and a few others. Um, but essentially, it's like a week-long sleepaway camp for kids. And it's a, a fishing program, but it's more than just fishing. And it's um, you know immersing them into the community and being involved and getting giving back and then teaching them about conservation and doing different uh you know, local initiatives like um, uh, eradicating um, invasive species like lionfish, mm-hmm. um, and partnering with Costa and doing the kick plastic campaign, but hopefully building them up so they're confident anglers, but also um, just more informed anglers and well-rounded. And what ages? And- what ages? Or what's the top age that that goes to? So we've got different programs. So we've got like all girls or or adults. Um, but it ranges from 13 to 23. Oh, okay. Uh, so kind of all across the board. Yeah. And so in the women's stuff that you're, that you're doing, I'm interested, like you said, that it's obviously, you know, intimidating sometimes to walk into a fly shop. So are that, what are the other challenges that like, I, I see, I see, well, let me just give you a little background. When I started guiding, it wasn't uh, after my first year of guiding. I had Lorianne Murphy start guiding with us. Christy Ball started guiding with us. Kim Keeley started guiding with us. So we had three or four, I may be leaving someone out, three or four female guides right away. And I saw all this play out and they were great. They were, they were great guides. They were great anglers. The people that would come on my boat, there would be a couple. The guy wouldn't listen really. The the lady would listen very well, and she would almost always, every time, outfish the guy, almost every time. And she might might come as a complete rookie. By the end of the trip, she was she still believed that she was a complete rookie, but she was already better than her husband or whoever brought her. And it was because she listened. She didn't have any bad habits. She she got it. It was great. A fly rod seems to be perfect for a female. They can handle it great. They can understand exactly what's going on much, much faster. The guys are all muscling things and trying to wrestle with it. And I just always found that women took to the sport of fishing very, very easily once they were there. And that also translated into saltwater, that women were good saltwater anglers too, and especially as it applied to fly fishing. So I, it would seem like there would be a lot more women in the sport of fly fishing. So I'm interested in kind of talking about what what are the what are the challenges? There's some obvious challenges of walking into a fly shop and there's 10 guys there drinking coffee and they're looking at like this one girl that walks in. I see that. But what are some of the other kind of challenges that that keep women from even opening the door of the fly shop? Like what are other things that maybe you're we're not even seeing because nobody's talking about them? Right. That's a great question. I would say first and foremost, it's, it's still just uncomfortable. You know, it's new in the sense of the lack of support. Right. So like, I feel like women can often be really encouraging towards each other, but if you're walking into a fly shop or you have that initial barrier, right. Cause that's where you're going to start your journey is in the fly shop. You ought to get a fly, the gear. Um, so your first interaction is going to be, men who might not necessarily be supportive and they might be now, but a couple of years ago, maybe not so much, mm-hmm. right. We're seeing this growth in, in women in this. And I think it's because we're bringing awareness to, you know, women in the, in the sport of fly fishing. Um, but it's the barrier of, you know, having a uncomfortable situation or not feeling supported or encouraged. Um, and then ultimately I think it's also a, you know, you've got to be kind of a, a little bit of a tomboy to be in fly fishing, right? So there's, it's also going to be depend on the female who wants to fish. And is she kind of rugged? Is she going to be out on the river? So it's, I don't think we're going to see like this super drastic growth because there's not a lot of women. It's like, you're either a Kim Kardashian or you're not, you know? So like, 
I don't know if that makes any sense. She loves to fish. (laughs) I saw it on her Instagram. (laughs) Oh gosh. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I would say that that's one factor as well. Um, and then, you know, it's a, that's an awesome question. I don't know. So what happens at, what happens at your, at your, you know, the, the get togethers that you're doing, do some, do people like bring a new person in and they're like, Oh, okay. I see at some point they've got to kind of open up to you. Like, you know, I would have never come to this if she hadn't have brought me or whatever, if I hadn't heard that this was an all ladies uh, group. And then here, here comes kind of some of the things that she was afraid of. Like, I would, I would be afraid to book a trip or I would be afraid to go with a, a, a guide all day long just by myself. I would, but I don't know anyone else that wants to share a boat with me or anything like that. I would imagine that a lot of those kind of things would kind of come out at some of those, those events. Yeah. I, and I think it does. And I think in a lot of ways, it's like women are, I don't know, it's not necessarily new, but we're in an era where women are embracing this like independence, right? So they're like, now I feel like women are wanting to try new things and new sports and hobbies that they might not have otherwise. So when we're having these discussions, I think it's, um, you know, people are, you're now you have a women's event, you know, so it's, you're, it's automatically like socializing and it's not maybe just fishing. It's, you know, having wine with other people. Like that's how I market my events is waiters and wine. It's wine. You're not wearing waiters. You're fishing on ponds, you know? So like, I think it's enticing them to fly fishing, but it's also, uh, building it around the socialization. And, and I think just like not so much rough and rugged because you can have a fly fishing experience that's, you know, on the frying pan river. And that's, you know, more, uh, it's not so intense and out there and wild, which isn't the experience that everybody's looking for. Right. So it's, I think they're just now realizing that there's all these aspects that fly fishing embodies. And it's not just this like hardcore extreme, which some of us like, and some people don't. So. Yeah. Well, it can be, but it can also be pretty easy. I mean, like yeah. you just sit in a boat and somebody rows you down the river all day. Like my wife likes to fish, but she also likes to sit there and read a book or, or watch the river go by. Sometimes I do too. Like it's pretty sweet to sit back in the back of the boat and not do anything, especially if you've been rowing all summer or if you've been polling for a long time, then you just kind of relax. I find the river to be incredibly relaxing, but, uh, well, that's cool. Um, you've obviously done a lot of, a lot of work there, uh, with the women. And I'm, I'm sure that that's going to continue because it, uh, you're, you're definitely super committed to it and that's super cool. Um, so let's back up a little bit because on, in, in a lot of their posts and on your Instagram too, you talk about your childhood and how you got to California, uh, almost said California, not California, <laughs> Colorado that, and you talk about how you got to Colorado and, uh, wondering if you would kind of walk us through, through that. Yeah. So, uh, I think originally, I, I guess I'll just start from the beginning, um, I had kind of a, a difficult childhood and I moved around a lot as a little girl. Um, when I was 12, I actually went through foster care. So I moved around from the years of 12 years old to 17 um, and lived in probably seven different homes. And periodically through that, fly fishing was kind of like this saving grace for me, but I didn't really get into it. It seems like, tell me, tell me how that fit in there because it doesn't seem like fly fishing and foster homes um, necessarily would go together, you know, thinking, I, I don't, how, how did that work? Did some of the foster homes, were they fly fishermen or where, where were you? So I guess I'll, I'll start from the very beginning. Then. Okay. <laughs> my grandfather actually taught me fly fishing when I was a little girl. Um, so fishing is, is, uh, huge in my family, fly fishing and conventional. Um, my, both my parents were avid anglers themselves. Um, it's just my immediate parents who weren't able, who weren't fit to be parents. Um, so it was, I dabbled with it as a little girl. So I knew what fly fishing was. Um, so then when I was 12 and, you know, I ended up moving around, I had a, a friend in um, different schools who fly fished. And I feel like if you fly fish and you hear somebody else talking about fishing and you pick up on other people's passions or what they're doing. Um, and I've always been just very, outgoing and invite myself to things. I'm like, Oh, so you fly fish. And I, I fly fish before, like, do you want to go? Um, 
So I would go if I had the opportunity or if I connected with someone who did. Um, and then as I got older, when I was 17, I just, uh, knew that I didn't want to live in that environment and I was able to move out and, um, go my own direction. And I was living with my sister at the time and she was super adamant about me going to college and I just wasn't ready yet. So, um, ended up buying a one-way ticket to, uh, Aspen, Colorado of all places, going from Flint, Michigan to Aspen. It's a quite a culture shock. Um, how did you pick Aspen of all places? How did you pick that? I actually didn't know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. I had I had overheard someone um, who her brother was a lift operator in Snowmass, just outside of Aspen. So in my head, it was it was an escape. So I didn't I didn't know anywhere anything about where I was going. I was just like, okay, well, Snowmass, there's this job opportunity that I could apply for. Found the job, applied for it, and got a call back a week later. And so, got it. No, I was oh. as a lift okay. operator. On, but but uh, you got the job that you heard about? Like, yeah, I just applied for it. You totally oh. manifested that all the way from Flint, Michigan. You totally <laughs> did that, don't you think? Like the yeah, one I, job that you could, that you heard about and you book a ticket to this one place and apply for that one job and you get it. That's amazing. I mean, it was a $12 an hour job. It Whatever. Was, I, it doesn't anyway. matter. I mean, that is, that's amazing. I hear about kids. That, that, I mean, even today they have all this opportunity to go to all these different places and they just don't. And like, I find that to be really cool that you, that was like your one, I mean, what would have happened if you didn't get that job? Like, I I think about that every day, but I was always a dreamer. And I remember sitting with uh, some of the people that I lived with in my entire life, people were always like, uh, everybody that I lived with was like, you know, you're too much of a dreamer. Like that's not realistic. You know, you're never going to live that life. And I'm like, I love being outside. I like playing. I'm like, I know that there's more to life than this shithole. And that's all I knew. So when I heard about this, I was like, well, why not? You know, like, why wouldn't I try to apply for this and figure it out? You know, I think growth comes from uncomfortable situations and, I'm grateful for whatever it was that I had in me as a little girl that always allowed me to just keep, keep pushing, you know, cause my life would be drastically different had I not, had I not moved to Colorado. Yeah. So you get this, you get this job and you're yeah. 17 and do you have any place to live? Do you have, I mean, like that they seems like, housing, okay. Which was like the, uh, so when I heard about it, I also knew that he lived in employee housing and it was, when I thought about it, I thought it was in the middle of nowhere. It was in the woods and there was like one lift. I don't know why I didn't know anything else. Um, uh, how would you? Like, off, yeah. I was going to live off ramen noodles, um, and barely afford to pay bills. But all I knew was like, I was going to do it and I was going to figure it out. Um, and if it failed, it failed, right? Like no harm. You just go back or you just go home or whatever. You figure something else out. Um, but I think it was, I just didn't have fear in that sense. It wasn't scary to me um, until I was on the plane. And then I was like, oh shit, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> then I cried and was like, like, like maybe, the, maybe everyone was right. And that I am a little bit of a dreamer and I probably should have thought this, thought this through, but I'm glad that I didn't. Um, so, you, so, yeah. so you get out there, you get this job. It, it comes with a place to live. How long is it until you look around and you're like, I am doing this. Like I'm doing it. Like I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, not long after and me being the dreamer that I am, I only lasted at that job for maybe two months. I was like, I looked around and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to eat ramen noodles. And I know that I'm worth more than $12 an hour. So like what's next. And so I just found other opportunities Um, And that was engineering at a hotel. Like everything I've always done has just been hands-on. Like I knew like it was an operator for a a ski resort and then engineering. And then it was, um, I think babysitting or something. And then I transitioned and straight into a fly shop. Um, But everything I also do, I give like a hundred percent in. So it was, as soon as I moved there, I was like, it was like this whole world expanded. And I was like, I can snowboard and I can skateboard and I can fish and like, for a while, I obviously didn't have any money. So it was just getting whatever was handed to you or whatever you could get. And my first year of guiding was our rental shop rods because I couldn't afford rods, you know, or 
whole waiters that my first pair of waiters that I was, that were donated. So it was now I look back and I'm like, I'm like, okay, well you put you, I pushed through with this, with all this random free things and you can make it happen. You know, it's just how badly do you want to work for it? How, how bad do you want it? Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Because, uh, you know, you, how does that, how does that play into your life now? Like as you, as you set goals and you create this mission statement and you're, you're doing hosted trips and you're, you're, you're growing your business. How does fear play into your life now coming from the story that you just told me? I don't know how to answer that. I think we're all fearful. There's always going to be things that um, are intimidating to us or, you know, are nerve wracking to do. I, I'd like to transition over to salt and not maybe guide, but, uh, just become a better saltwater angler. So I'd like to move to Florida. That's scary to me. Um, but I also know we only have one life to live. And if I don't reach for the things that I want to do, um, because they make me happy because I'm scared of what other people might think or, um, why they think that I do it or, all these other factors, right. That hold us back from living the life we want to live. Um, ultimately I don't want to, I don't want to waste any time. I just want to be happy and inspire other people to follow their dreams and to embrace it and to overcome fear. Because I think that's what's stopping a lot of people from just living, living a a purpose and passion. There's no doubt about it. And it it results in paralysis, just complete, paralysis that people get in a situation where they want to do something and they get scared and they just don't do it. They just think about it all the time and and instead of doing it. But, uh, that's awesome, man. I love that story. That's really cool. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I always think that you're, unless you're kind of scared of something, you're too comfortable. Like if something doesn't really, you set a goal, you want to do something. And if that doesn't really kind of, really kind of scare you, then it's probably not a big enough goal. You know, that's, that's what, that's what I think and what has kind of come clear for me. And it's like, yeah, that is a really uncomfortable feeling, but it's also like this warm friend, like that you, that you have like, okay, I've got a goal and this is going to, you know, I'm going to set this goal. I'm going to make this goal happen. And I'm terrified, <laughs> you know, um, but that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I love that story though, because it, it, uh, I mean, I believe that you can manifest things with your mind. You can create, you can create your own reality with your mind. And it seems like, I mean, that story is like, you, you did that. You heard about this job and you, you went and you, absolutely did it with no resources whatsoever. You totally did that with your mind. I mean, you had to actually get on the plane and do that, but that's super cool. I I, I hope you know that that's super cool. Um, so as it applies to, um, your life now, do you have some other goals besides the ones that you just said? Like, uh, what are your short-term goals that you're trying to work on right now? Not the moving to Florida. That seems like a little a little longer down the path, but like, um, as far as growing your business and, and, and what you're doing now, are you happy with that? Or do you have some other goals where you're trying to go? Yeah. Someone asked me that the other day, they were like, what's your long-term goals for five years? And I was like, man, maybe I should have some, but (laughs) just I don't, because I think, um, I, every opportunity that has come my way has always been, um, it's just so I never predicted it and I don't want to close any doors because I don't know what direction my life is going to go in or my journey. Um, but I know my values and my, the impact that I want to make and the difference and, and who I am as a person and my story. And, um, as for like tangible goals, I think it's just, I don't, I don't really have any, and I don't think I really want any. I think I just want to live a life of happiness and love and kindness and whatever comes my way. I'm grateful for that opportunity, but I'm, I don't want to get so lost in what's to come and forget about um, being grateful for this moment now. Right. You know, that's good. It's all about 
you know, you can get too caught up in the past. You can get too caught up in the future and, and not enjoy the present for sure. And it sounds like you're, you're very uh, grateful person and it shows through in, in a lot of your, in a lot of the stuff that you're putting out there, but also in the, in, in what you're saying. So I feel like if you really want to inspire people to the highest degree, you should make something happen that is completely, um, uh, unlikely, like what you did when you were 17, you got out there and then all of a sudden you're living in Colorado and you're doing this thing that people told you that you couldn't do or probably weren't going to be successful doing. And I don't know from here, I think, you know, you should set your sights somewhere where you can really inspire people by, by doing something that seems impossible. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, the hard thing with that though, is I'm still so young and I think I'm, I've just come into like this period of learning who I am and, and loving myself. So it's, I feel like it's really just this past year where I've finally, I feel like this breath of fresh air and I'm like, I'm not trying to figure things out. I feel I'm not broke, you know, I'm not hungry. I like, you know, I'm, so I'm just kind of playing catch up in that regard and just, um, being grateful for now. And now it's, you know, how can I have more of an impact on these things that are, are important to me? Uh, and ultimately, I think that would go in a direction of foster children, you know, yeah. or, you know, and how, um, how can I get children involved into the sport who don't have the means? And that's where I think uh, it, that holds a lot of, um, you know, excitement or, you know, that's part of my purpose. But it's, I think it's just going to take a little bit more time for me to figure that out and how to integrate that into my life and how to create that reality. But, but I do know that it will happen and it kind of goes along like your manifestation. Like I can feel that. Mm -hmm. And at some point in my life, um, that might be a year from now. And I'm, that idea is going to come to my head and I'm like, okay, this is it. This is what I should do. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, how old are you? I'm 24. 24. Wow. Yep. You do have a lot of time left to do whatever you want to do. That's awesome. 24. So I was thinking that you really remind me of, uh, of Lorianne Murphy. Um, but she was, she was probably older than 24 when I was guiding with her. Um, yeah, probably a little bit. Um, anyway, do you know her? I do. Yeah. yeah. Personally, but have I've you ever gone her. down to, uh, to fish with her in, in, um, where is she? She's in, Honduras or where is she? Like, I don't know. I don't know where her home base is. Yeah. Well, she, she's got a saltwater gig going. Um, gosh, where is it? Belize? Somewhere like that. Thank I'm you. sorry, Laurieanne. I forgot where you live, <laughs> but, but you should go. I ran into her at Outcast a couple of years ago and uh, it was great catching up with her, but she, she did a lot of the same. She had a lot of the same things, you know, she was, she was, uh, she knew exactly who she was. And, uh, it's one of the things that I, I most respected about her is that she, she just, she just knew exactly who she was. She wasn't putting on any fronts for anybody. She knew exactly who she was. She knew exactly what she was there for. And she did it, you know, she totally did it. So I don't know. You remind me of her a lot. Um, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, that's cool. Tell me about the hosted trips that you do. Yeah. So I do, um, uh, my focus right now was female, um, hosted trips. And then I expanded to co-ed hosted trips and I haven't done one yet. It was supposed to be in May, but obviously COVID kind of postponed that. So that's going to be in October. Um, but new to the hosted trip world. Um, but I partnered with Ascension Bay Lodge and that's where I was doing my trips to Mexico for a week. Um, and again, my kind of my reasoning behind that was that younger generation, um, having it be, you know, cost efficient and something that someone could, come and experience this also be more involved and have kind of step away from like the luxury aspect and have more of like the community immersion aspect. Um, and just, uh, also make it affordable. So if someone wants that opportunity, it's, it's obtainable and it's not, you know, outrageous, but. Yeah. So yeah. some of these other things that I see on your Instagram though, like Dorado and, and some of the other things, how, how are you doing those trips? So I, I was assuming that those were hosted trips and that's where you were getting all of that content and catching all those fish, but maybe, maybe there's another part of your story that I don't know. Like, how are you going to all these other places? So those are content missions okay. or like checking them out for hosted trips. So I'm 
kind of proposed that idea to Argentina and Patagonia, both those lodges down there. Um, and I think the unique niche that I'm tapping into is my social media audience, which I think is a lot of people who are maybe in my age range um, and who might not have like the money to travel to places like that. Um, so it's having those hosted trips that are affordable. But now it's also Argentina and Patagonia. That's going to be for my clients, you know, because they can't afford something like that. Um, but now I want to integrate to the clients who have these same values to me. And we have such incredible conversations and they want to be more... Um, you know, involved in the community that they're visiting. And it's not just this luxury experience that they usually have. Um, and granted, both these lodges are, but I think it's uh, just creating a different and unique experience for that. And granted, I haven't done it yet, um, but that's my focus with those trips. Um, and those will end up taking place next year. So explain a little bit about the difference between what you're calling a community experience and a, and a, uh, a luxury experience. Yeah. So you get the luxury aspect, right? Yeah. Oh, I get that. <laughs> and it's leaving the lodge. Yeah. I think that's where, where a lot of people, um, you know, feel comfortable with. They stay at the lodge and that's you know all they do. And they interact with the people that they came to this trip with. I think it's um, leaving the lodge and doing something different. Maybe that's volunteering mm. um, or being involved with a local organization that's in conservation um, or whatever it might be, I think it's uh, a different aspect and it might not be as appealing, but I've got a lot of clients who have expressed like, I mean, these are very wealthy people, you know, and they right. can afford to do whatever they want, but they're like this, I want to do something that's more purposeful. Um, right. So that's what hopefully those experiences will offer. And, and I'm still dialing in those well, maybe, details. Maybe there's an opportunity for you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to to tie in the the children and the foster issues there. I, I remember when we went to Christmas Island, that was one of the things that we did. We went to the orphanage there and um, checked it out. Like, but maybe there would be opportunities for you to, to tie those in. And man, there are, there are a ton of rich people that are empty inside and want to do something meaningful in their life. And they like to fish and they like to go to these places, but literally, money can't buy you fulfillment in a lot of cases and something like, like what you're proposing, man, you might just have them standing in line. If you, if you create the right program. I think you're onto something there. I don't know why I didn't think of tying the two together, but that's a great idea. Well, you definitely. take it and run with it. Thank you. <laughs> I will. That's great. I certainly will. That's great. But I mean, it does seem like that. I mean, everywhere there's children that need help and, and, there's probably good fishing nearby. seems like that would be a, a good fit. And there's lots of rich people that are dying to give their money away and do it in a way that makes them feel, you know, fulfilled. And uh, I don't know, maybe all you need to do is tie them all together. It's pretty cool. It'd be a pretty cool deal. So of all the places that you've been, what, uh, which ones, which ones kind of stick with you as, as real special places that you would maybe either like to return to, or maybe do a hosted trip there. Have you had some surprises like of places that you might not have thought you would have liked so much and then they were better than you thought? Man, I've loved, I'm also just such a grateful person, right? So I think I love every place that I've gone to um, and just grateful for that opportunity experience because I've never traveled in my life. So any place that I go to, I don't really have a whole lot to compare it to. Um However, I would say the Honduras, Guanaja, um, where the Fish for Change program is located, was the most impactful experience that I've had um, for myself as a young female angler. Um, and then the community itself, too. So it was just like hands-on within the community. It was like just creating friendships and lifelong relationships with people who live on this island. So that was a unique thing. Um, that I haven't really seen through the rest of my experiences and something I want to start integrating more because I've realized how important it is. Hence why I keep talking about it. But um, yeah, Honduras was a really special place for me. Yeah. Honduras. I, I went there one time we went to Roatan and, uh, and there was some great fishing there on these little, these little strip coral reefs that, that, that would, like the sand would build up behind them and there were permanent bonefish all on those things. There were mountains. It was a beautiful, beautiful place. But 
there, there was some significant um, poverty there. Uh, where, yeah. I, where I went to meet the guide was um, shocking, really, because you, you, we were like at this, this dive resort and I wanted to go fishing. So I set up this fishing trip and it was like a, I don't know, we had to drive like 30 miles. And so my family's driving me and going to drop me off at this place and then come back and pick me up. And we pull into this place and it was shocking. The, the poverty there. I was not expecting it because we hadn't seen it anywhere else on the Island that we had been that thus far. And we went over this hill and down into this little town and uh, man, it was, it was really rough. And then they have a, had a couple of hurricanes that went through there too. And I thought about those people, man, just like, man, that was, that was rough. Is So is that kind of what, what did you see in Honduras that was so important to you? I think that exact same thing. I don't think anything in we, I spent mo- the majority of my time in Guanaja. Um, but it's exactly what you're saying. I think hurricane Mitch wiped out like everything on that Island. So seeing this community come together and, and rebuild and collectively try to, to come together to rebuild their islands. Like it's, it's heartbreaking and it's um, inspiring in a lot of ways. Right. So it's like, how can we get back and get involved? And I think that's essentially what fish for change does, which is why it's become so important for me to be more involved with that organization. Um, But yeah, it's the same as, same as what you said. And that started there, that fish for change started right there in Gunaha. Yeah. I think that's how headquarters was Steve Brown founded a fly fish Gunaha. And then they kind of formed fish for change within that. Within and from, that. from there it's grown to, to be a, a worldwide organization. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still, it's still relatively small. Uh, but my best friend is uh, I think the, the director of the organization and Heather Harkaby. Um, and she's uh, just a powerhouse. The girl has got a lot of visions and she's been able to create programs and, you know, Costa Rica and Bahamas and Mexico and, um, and now Colorado too, we're working on that one. So wow, it's, uh, yeah, it's been an exciting project and there's more to come. Yeah. Sounds cool. So, uh, so what else gets you excited about, uh, life right now? Fishing (laughs) (laughs) opportunity to fish for myself. It's going to be great when I get to hold a rod one of these days. Yeah, well, that is the that is the the delicate balance of being a fishing guide, and it's particularly being a good one. Is that your days of fishing are limited or numbered or not non-existent, as uh, your time is is better spent with with paying customers? But uh, it sounds like you haven't had a chance to fish all summer, or what? I do, but just not as much as I would like to. Um, and truthfully, I feel like saltwater is what I crave right now. So I just am really itching, even though I wasn't, I'm, I'm being a brat. I was in Florida Keys a couple. Well, I know. And that's what that's, that leads, that leads to, uh, the, the, the mutual connection that, that ended up having us having this conversation is Brandon Sear. Uh, that's how I learned about you. And, uh, you caught a really awesome tarpon. I was, and I looked at it and then I was talking to Brandon and I was like, well, what do you think about Cheyenne? Would she be a good guest? And he was like, yeah, man, absolutely. He told me a little bit about you. And, and, uh, so that's, that's what led to, to me looking you up. But, uh, what did you think about the keys? I'm in love. I'm I'm hoping to move to Key West, um, through the winter seasons and, um, just, uh, hoping for as, specific opportunity, um, you know, works out and then I'll be able to move there for a couple months and work there. Um, and granted, I'm like well aware of, I have no expectations of fishing while I'm there, but I really just want to learn and like being in that environment and being around Brandon and, um, and just, uh, cat and now with the angling company, I've never felt so it goes back to kind of what we said originally, like I've never felt so supported and believed in and Brandon especially is like, such a big supporter. And he is like, dude, you are, he's like, go fucking follow your dream. Excuse my language, follow your dreams. Um, you know, like come out here, come fish, like learn this fishery, like you're doing awesome things. And it's very rarely do you ever hear that from men or women in particular who want to see you grow and succeed as an angler. Um, and that's just really what I want to do. I want to be the best angler I can be. 
But maybe, maybe you just need to surround yourself with different people. I don't know. It seems like, it seems like everybody needs a cheerleader like Brandon, like exactly what he's telling you is like, like, why not? Why would you not do that? It seems like, I don't know, moving to Key West and, and, uh, you know, working there and you, you'll get out fishing. You'll, you'll fish a bunch. Um, but I don't have that expectation, right? I want to go into it with, uh, the learning expectation and knowing just to be a sponge. And I think the, most important thing that I see, like with people who want to be guides or who go places, um, it's being humble enough to know, to wait, you know, and to pay your dues and right. to learn and respect the people who have been in those fisheries. And, um, and I think you did something similar, right? Like you moved to the keys and yep. waited uh, a year before you guided. That's exactly right. Uh, you, you did your homework. Um, I did uh, wait a year and I worked, uh, I worked at Jeffrey Cardenas's um, saltwater angler while I got my hours for my captain's license. And then I got my captain's license and, you know, kind of like you uh, at your fly shop, you know, people were like, dude, you're catching fish. Why, why, why aren't you guiding? I'm like, I'm not ready to guide, not ready to guide at all. Not, not, not yet. You know? And I just was, I just wasn't, didn't feel like I was ready. And that was some of the advice I got early was don't do it until you're ready. And so yeah. I had just made this mental decision that I wasn't going to guide that year. And, um, I got, I got talked into it <laughs> one day I was at the shop and, uh, Peter Corbin, this is the story of my first trip. Uh, Peter Corbin, who's a, a really well-known artist. He and I, he had been coming in and selling Jeffrey paintings and, you know, art and books and all kinds of stuff. And he was spending a lot of time in Key West and he was, he was friends with Marshall Cutchin. And, and, uh, so I would, I would, uh, you know, hang out with Peter and he's like, you know what? I want to go fishing tomorrow. And Marshall's all booked and everybody's booked. I want to, I want to be your first trip. I'm like, I'm not ready, Peter. I'm not ready. I'm not guiding. And he's like, let's just go for a half day. Like, oh, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'll take you. And he insisted on paying. I would have taken him for free. And he goes out and we pull into this place. And I think we're going to fish for Barracuda. And I'm like, Peter, see a permit. So we fiddle around and change the fly and get the different rod, whatever we had to do. And we go over there and he catches it on fly in the first 30 minutes of my first guided trip ever. And I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. And so I have that picture. And um, then we looked for some more barracudas for a while and didn't find any and went to another flat and started permit fishing there. And he caught another one. Oh, and my. Yeah. That's yeah. So two permit on fly. Oh. And um, so we go back in. We have a nice lunch. We go back to the shop. And, uh, he tells everybody like I caught two permanent on fly and they were like, what? He said he wasn't ready to guide yet. And I was like, I don't know what happened because I had never done that before. And, um, well, you know, I was pulling around basically without anyone on the bow. So I don't know. I mean, I was finding some fish, but I didn't, I don't know. It just happened. Like it, it totally just happened. And, uh, but it got me off to a pretty good start. And um, I think that that is part of paying the dues, but I'm a big believer in paying the dues. And I'm a big believer in exactly what you said of if you move into a new area, you know, you have to pay your dues and you have to develop that respect from the people around you. And that respect does not come cheap. Like when I started, it was basically the only, the social media was, is your trailer there before all the other ones? And is it there after all the other ones left? So you got there before and you left after and you did that every single day. And that's how you developed some respect and then didn't run over anybody on the water and you didn't cause any problems and you stayed away from everybody and you gave, you know, you let them have it instead of you barging in there because that never works. But uh, the paying the dues, that's, that's big. Tell me how the paying the dues uh, played in, in guiding in Colorado. I'm glad you asked that because I was actually going to say that is, I learned that the hard way, you know, like I worked in the shop and I expected to work in the shop longer. And then when the guides that I was surrounded by were like, you know, why don't you go and guide? And I was like, well, like, okay. Um, But there were a lot of disapproving guides in the Valley who didn't feel like I was ready. Um, 
And then I think that also plays a part in how quickly my social media, you know, career has become kind of what it is. And in a lot of ways, I think um, I lost a lot of respect for, or I, they lost respect for me um, because I am 24 and I'm doing hosted trips and partnering with companies. And, and from their perspective, I can see why they would be frustrated. Um, but from mine, I think we, I just grew up in a different era. And I think I, I did things the best that I could and I would hope that they would understand or be supportive. Um, because I never had any intent of like coming in and thinking I'm a hotshot best guide. But, um, I think I learned that the hard way and that's something that I'll forever be (laughs) ingrained in my memory for any future opportunities or anything like that. So there is that, but then there is also, you know, maybe you just came in and saw what you wanted and you just went for it just like you've done for your entire life. And the whole story that you just told me is, is exactly that you saw what you wanted and you just went for it. And, you know, there's always room in, in wherever in paying your dues is incredibly important. But when a, a lot of people ask me about, you know, becoming a guide or, or wanting to become a guide and ask some advice or whatever. And the advice that I give everybody is, man, there is always room at the top for, for the cream. The cream always rises to the top and there's always room there. And if you are willing to work harder than everyone else, and you're willing to do that for longer than anyone expects you to do that, you will end up at the top and there's always room there. And, um, you know, that's, that's sounds like, you know, you got to start sometime. So, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people would have loved to have seen you work in that fly shop for another three years before you, you went out on the river, but you got to start sometime and you're, everybody's going to make mistakes and and you're never going to, to do things the way that every other person wants to see you do them. So at some point you just got to jump and, yeah. uh, and you do, but you know, you can also jump and remain humble while you're doing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think even if I worked in the fly shop for 10 years and then I started doing what I'm doing, they still wouldn't exactly. like Exactly. They wouldn't have you liked know? that anyway. And, yeah. and, you know, some of those people probably don't, have a social media thing or don't understand it or, or aren't very good at posting or I don't know something, but you're doing something a little bit different and you're, you're succeeding at it. So you're always going to have detractors for that, but you're, you have far more supporters, I assure you, than the detractors. Um, I appreciate that. Sometimes I talk about this stuff on my social media and the response that I get uh, from like children who are getting into it or fathers who are like, you know, my daughter loves fishing and she looks up to you or, or, you know, I'm sure you've made an impact in a lot of people's lives and hearing that response is um, reassuring in a lot of ways. But yeah. I think um, I know me, I know my truth. I know why I do what I do. And those who meet me know that as well. And um, there's always going to be people who dislike or disapprove of the decisions you make. And it's just not letting that eliminate you from following your passion and your purpose. and so I'm just going to keep doing me. <laughs> there you go. Sounds good. Um, so I'm just wondering, like we, we've talked so much about getting women into the sport. We've talked about your social media. We've talked about all of these different things and, and yeah. your, your values and how, how that all lines up to exactly where you are. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that people get attention these days, especially on social media and especially women getting attention through fishing on social media, bikinis, all kinds of name it, you name it on Instagram. I'm just kind of wondering like what you think of that kind of aspect of this business. Does it help to get women into the business? Does it hurt to get women into fishing or I shouldn't say into the business, but does it help to bring women into the, into the sport of fishing by seeing other women fishing, regardless of what they're doing or wearing, or does it hurt the sport? Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, uh, of course. I've got thoughts on everything. I'm a very opinionated person. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, I listened to a podcast um, with Jen Ripple in it and she said something, they had this, they were, they were talking about the same topic. Um, 
And I think with social media in particular, there is a lot of women who maybe do it for the right reasons and some who do it for the wrong reasons, right? So, but that's in everything. And it's not just fishing. We just notice it because it's such a small industry, right? Like there's women who do this in in every sport um, or in men too. Um, I think we focus so much one, I think we focus so much attention on women who maybe are self-promoting or whatever it is. Everybody in the in the community, because it's so small, we hyper-focus on all of it. Um, so then we're giving additional attention to maybe those who aren't doing it for the right reason. So I think it's a, you know, like the FFBI account or all these negativity accounts that um, kind of like bully people within the fishing space, if you're aware of all of those accounts. Um, it just draws this negativity and this attention to something that I think we should just be focusing on people or organizations or whatever who are doing good. Um, then secondly, I think I had actually I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not sure. Okay. Give me a minute. It'll come back to me. Yeah, I'm sure it will. But I just, I, you know, it's, it's, I never know what to think about it because on the one hand, maybe, maybe, more more women fishing is just great and and it doesn't matter what they're wearing and on the other hand maybe it is you know discouraging to a yeah. lot of women that really want to fish i don't know what to think about it i have a daughter she's 16 and uh and i want i think about these things all the time like okay like wonder wonder what she thinks because i'd love to go fishing with my daughter for the rest of her life and i you know instagram it's huge and it's everywhere. And it's like you say, it's in every sport. It's in every, every account for whatever activity you want to do. You can see, you know, that those type of posts. And I, I don't know what to think about it really. If it's good, yeah. if it's bad, if it I kind of have, I don't, I don't have an opinion on it really. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know either, but I do remember. So what Jen said in this podcast was those who are doing it for the right reason are going to be here for a long time. And those who aren't, aren't going to last long anyways. Right. So I think if you, we are seeing someone who like a lot of people think that I, I'm not doing it for the right reason. Right. So I think if I wasn't, I wouldn't be here still. I would have ended my career a, a year after I started or whatever it was. So um, she made a great point when she said that, because if you're not truly passionate about something, there's no way you're going to fly fish for the rest of your entire life. If you don't mm -hmm. truly love fly fishing. Right. Um, and then ultimately it's, yeah, it's in, it, it's just always going to be there. It is what it is. And the more we pay attention, what we pay attention to is what becomes important to us. And so if we're paying attention to, you know, women who are maybe sexualizing themselves or drawing attention in the wrong ways or doing it for the wrong reasons, then that is what we're going to become. And so the more that everyone in the fishing world is talking about that and we're not focusing on the things that are positive for the community, um, like what direction are we going to go in right now? And I think ultimately it's up to all of us within the industry or this community or this sport, um, how we're going to pay attention to, you know, these things. Got it. Take the high road. That's what I say. Okay. Take the high road. Um, okay. So, uh, man, I really appreciate you spending this much time with me and, and, uh, I love your story. It's awesome. I want to ask you a couple more questions, uh, before we close out, but one is, do you have a book that you, what is the book that you've given to someone the most? Do you have a book that you give to people? I, I love reading actually, but my biggest thing is I never remember titles. <laughs> um, so a lot of my books are within like fiction or they're um, like self-help spiritual books. Yeah. Um, I actually really like uh, if I can remember the title, but it's like the 12 something about leadership. I can't remember, but it's like your values within yourself. If I can remember, I'll tell Is you. Is that Jordan it. Peterson's book? Um. I Google it. Maybe I'll know. Okay. Well, I'm interested. So take your time because he had a book that was 12 something. Well, I'll take a peek in the meantime. What is your other question? Um, well, I just want to know um, if you were to blue sky it this time 
maybe two or three years from now, what do you think that your life would be like? If I, what do you mean by blue sky? Just no limitations. Just, you know, just exactly the way that you would want it to be like a blue sky. Uh, in two or three years from now, it would be hopefully a, a revolved around a lot of love because <laughs> I love love um, and kids and feeling. I like, I just, as weird as it sounds, I never felt loved for most of my life. So it's like my purpose or passion is to make other people feel loved because I know what it feels like to not feel that. Um, so with that comes inspiring and giving other people a safe space and making other people feel important or welcomed or encouraged. Um, and I don't know what that really embodies, but I hope my life has a lot of that in it. Um, cause I just, that's when I'm happiest. That's awesome. A whole lot of fishing, saltwater fishing, yeah. permit. Huh, well, I'm sure you're going to make that happen. Well, <laughs> did you find the name of the book? No, I didn't, okay. but we can just do another, uh, another podcast sometime just to talk about this book. <laughs> yeah, we will. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, I want to thank you very much for that and honor you for your telling your story, man is a great story. And, and you really, you really put it out there. Like just, I mean, you really did manifest it with your mind. I, I really truly believe that. And it's cool to see because I've done that a few times in my life and it's cool when you see it so clearly that other people have done the same thing. So I really think that that's super cool and I wish you all the very best and I'm sure you're going to make all that happen for yourself in your life. And uh, maybe I'll see you down in Key West. Uh, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. You're Thanks welcome. Thanks for taking the time to, to have me on your podcast and I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know when it comes out. It'll be a little bit, but uh, when it comes out, I will... Um, give you all the links and you can share it with all your devoted followers. And, um, if people want to go fishing with you, if they want to follow you on your, your, uh, social media accounts, if they want to get involved with any of your, uh, organizations or come to any of your events, how would they do that? Uh, my website, www.cheyenneorbis.com. And then my social media, um, at Cheyenne Orbis. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much. I hope you get after them tomorrow and have some beautiful weather. Thank you, Tom. All right. Take care. Thank you. See you.